Welcome to the Give Me Five Podcast. My name is Jimmy. I'm Greg. I'm Rob. On the Give Me Five Podcast, we will discuss five things that are on our radar each episode. That can be movies, games, albums, comics, books, or anything else that piques our interest. Okay, so here's the deal. This is a review show. There's going to be spoilers. So, for example, if you're going to be pissed off that you find out that Darth Vader is Luke's father, that Bruce Willis is dead the whole time in The Sixth Sense, or that Rob collects cat figurines, ceramic ones, they're adorable, then you probably don't want to listen. We're going to have a little bit of a list of what we're going to talk about in the show description. You can always check that out if there's a movie you haven't seen yet, book you haven't read yet, and you really don't want to be spoiled. We do our best, but it's entirely possible that we will spoil it for you. They're not all ceramic, by the way. Some of them are crystal? Yes. Yeah, they're, they're very nice. So anyway, here's the deal. If you want to contact us after listening to the show about anything other than spoilers, because you have been warned, then you can email us at giveme5podcast at gmail.com. You can tweet us at at giveme5pod, or you can check us out at Facebook um, just by pretty much searching giveme5podcast. In all of these, the five is spelled out F-I-V-E. It is not the number. And remember, guys, we want to hear from you. So if there's something that you'd like to chime in about or if there's something that you'd like us to discuss, if you want to think, if you want to hear what we have to say about it, let us know. Hit us up. You can also tell us that our opinions are wrong. I'm OK with that. I'm OK with that, too. I'm not OK with that. He'll go home and he'll go sit in his room full of cat figurines and just cry. I Cradle his jade cat figurine. <laughs> it would be terrible. The music you just heard at the top of the show and at the top of every one of our shows was by a band called The Midnight. This is going to be the first thing we're going to discuss tonight because I personally would like to thank them for letting us use that music. Um, they were very generous. I, I contacted them and their music, it's, it's a type of genre called synthwave or new retrowave, depending on how you look at it. There's a bunch of names. Um, Jimmy, you probably know the other ones. Um, vaporwave is one. I believe it's music created now that sounds like it was created in the eighties. I like to call it eighties chase music. The midnight released an album a few years back and it was called endless summer. And it's all based on synthesizers and very eighties feel to it. I happened to hear one of the songs from it called sunset. And as soon as I heard that song, I was like, this is amazing. I need to buy this album. The, the band itself is a guy named Tim McEwen, who's, I believe, a producer, a, a musician. And Tim, Tyler Lyle, who's actually an Americana artist, they do this fantastic 80s music that really sounds like an era that you want to go back to. No, I, I you know, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of The Midnight. I think they're, they're doing this thing, uh, while it's become quite popular, the, the new retro wave. I think The, the Midnight is doing it a bit differently. They have strong male vocals. They have a strong sax. And while they're, the sound is very much like it came from the 80s, I think what they're doing is um, it's very new at the same time. Though it's synth heavy, it is fantastic, and you guys should all check them out. Yeah, so you heard the, some of the sax that he was talking about on this, the opening song. is called Vampires. That was the music, the instrumental version of it. That song also has a non-instrumental version with with the vocals. They even have guest vocals on there. Um, there's one song with a particularly strong female vocalist, and I never remember her name, but I know Nikki Jimmy Flores. Nikki Flores, and her voice is fant absolutely fantastic. Uh, on the song that we've actually debated about the meaning of, yeah, yeah, a song called um, Jason, it's called which Jason. Is absolutely fantastic. Um, these guys just recently played their very first show. It was a sold out show in San Francisco. 
and I'm desperately hoping that they make their way around the country. But I, I really I hope they come down to Orlando. Yeah. Yeah, if they do, we'll definitely have to go see them. If you really like that song, you should definitely check out their albums. They have um, two full-length albums, technically four, because they'll do an instrumental version and a vocal version. Uh, one is called Endless Summer. One is called Days of Thunder. And they can be found Those at... Those are both the 80s mid- movies, aren't they? <laughs> they are. That's the Thus the point. <laughs> and they are available at um, themidnight.bandcamp.com for a very low price. Um, these guys are really good dudes. Um, every time I've ever sent them a message, they're, th- they're thankful and definitely worth your time. I just want to say thank you to them as very early in the show. Thank you, guys. And so, guys, what's uh, what's been going on? Well, I got I to gotta interrupt real quick because I got to let Jimmy know. Um, you know the book that you recommended on the last episode that we had? Episode uh, one. Yes, the, the uh, Legend of Huma. Yes. I actually picked it up on Audible. I told you. Oh, that awesome! I, I, yep. I told you that when we did it that I downloaded it and I've started uh-huh. listening to it. Oh, I'm good. About, I'm about uh, ten chapters in right now, um, and it's it's pretty good. It's it's it. You you were right. It's totally right up my alley. It's I'm I'm enjoying good. it so far. Yeah, I actually downloaded it as well after you said that you did. Just to kind of relive it, I I spend a lot of time in the car, so. I figured, hey, you know, I'll listen to it again. And man, if it doesn't give me goosebumps when I'm I'm driving down the street and I'm I'm hearing these parts that I remember from, you know, early on, I I almost, you know, what I really should do is uh, listen to Daft Punk in the background <laughs> while I I listen to it because you know it's always good when the stuff that you remember very fondly as a kid turns out to actually be good. Like yeah. sometimes I'll go back and watch old episodes of GI Joe, and while I still love it and I still get excited, it's. I'm like, wow, this is not good. Or, or, or Thundercats. Yeah, I'm like, I liked this crap? What is this? But I'll still watch it. I'll still buy the DVDs. But that's yeah. that is t- pure nostalgia. But it's always nice when it lives up to the hype. Yeah. And and just to return the favor, Jimmy, if you're looking for a good uh, sci-fi fantasy series, there's a great series that I love. It's currently my favorite series that I've read by Jim Butcher. It's a six-book series called The Codex Alera. Absolutely fantastic. I won't spoil anything for you, but if you get a chance, check that out. I've been recommended that before, so I'm going to have to check it out. Now, to start things off, I um, actually went and saw War for the Planet of the Apes. Oh, did you? And that was based on your suggestion. You took my advice, yeah. I had pretty high expectations based off of you know your review, what you thought of it, what you told me, and I was – more than pleasantly surprised. Awesome. Fantastic. I thought it was a absolute, I think it wrapped everything up for the trilogy. I think it did it very well. And oh man, you even said it yourself, the graphics, the CG. I mean, I think with the CG, we've reached a point where there were parts of the movie. I'm sitting there in the theater with like three other people. I've got a prime seat. I'm just getting lost in the story. I'm getting lost into believing that these these characters, these apes, are real. Now, and I understand that they do that they do motion capture with with a lot of this mm-hmm. stuff. Um, but still, I mean, the work that they've done and how far we've come with it is just absolutely amazing. And I gotta ask because when I saw this movie, and I'll, I'm gonna tell you right up front, I think this is probably gonna be my surprise hit movie of the summer because I did not expect it to be this good. There might be other movies that I like better than it, but this will probably be the movie that surprised me the most. Seeing the characters on there, there were times where I was like, "Man, you can't tell me that's not a real ape." Mm. 
how did they get that ape to act that well? But that CG and the way that the human characters interacted with the, you know, the apes. Yeah. I mean, how? I know, you know, Caesar, the main character, is played by uh, or acted out by Andy Serkis. Yeah. Golem. Golem of uh, Lord of the Rings fame. Yeah. Of Lord of the Rings. He is just something else. He's amazing. He deserves every accolade. Oh, every award. Without question. And how good of a villain is Woody Harrelson? Oh, man. He is. <sighs> how should I say this? He is a complete psychopath <laughs> with with flair <laughs> i mean he, with he flair fantastic. and so is he channeling it, his uh, natural born killers era uh, yeah i i think it's very close to that um he he does have a pretty convincing argument mm -hmm. absolutely as to why you know we won't get too far into it but as to why he feels the way that he mm -hmm. does feel and and why he is acting the way that he's acting, but it goes a bit overboard. It goes to the extreme. Yeah. And uh, Rob, I don't know if you agree, but he he gives this monologue at some point, um, explaining why he feels that the way he, you know he does feel, and you're kind of like, wow, or at least I was. I'm I'm sitting there going, okay, I get it. And what he did. To show, you know, what he did illustrating how strongly he believes in it. Yes, exactly. I know exactly what you're talking about. A and then it just kind of goes, okay, whoa, he's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's He's doing what now? Guys, if this wasn't on your radar, if, uh, if, if you'd seen the first two and kind of became disillusioned with it, I thought the second one was really good. Yeah, I did like Looking back in the first one, I'm just kind of like... Nah. Okay, it's, it it's been a while since I've it, seen it, the first one, so I'd probably have to go back and rewatch it. But I remember being thinking the second one was okay, but this one blew me away. I mean, I literally it, was sitting. Agreed. Greg, that text I sent you, I was still sitting yeah. in the theater. I had to tell. I had to tell somebody. I, I I texted Greg at the end of the movie. He was actually in a puddle of his own urine. He was so excited about totally, the movie. Totally, and I was quivering. It was phenomenal. Anyway, um. I was actually sitting there in the credits, and I'm like, and I ha I pulled out my phone, and I'm like, I, I I had to text I had to text Greg. I'm like, dude, this movie is amazing. This was a really yeah. really good movie. And I really like those movies, but I always end up buying them because because of the CG because they always uh -huh. have the making of documentaries. I'm well, a huge fan this of this one. Yeah, this one is definitely a buy. Yeah. I mean, if if we're gonna rate it. You know, based on that, then I I would say it's absolutely one that you should see in the theater. Yeah, yeah. And um, I also, they're hard for me to watch in some ways because I definitely find myself rooting for the apes, which they do on purpose. I mean, humanize their eyes so much, and they they give them such distinct personalities that when someone's you know, battling on a bridge or someone's about to fall or something like that, like in the first two movies. Yeah. Well, and there's there's the whole there's the whole slavery undertone to this movie as well. Yes. When when movies do social commentary, you know, I mean, that's that's okay. There are some movies that take it too far. Like I thought District Nine was not a movie that was trying to be a social commentary. District Nine to me was a social commentary that was trying to be a movie. So there there's times where it's just in your face, and it's like, all right, this that's that's enough. I can't. No, stop. I go to movies to escape reality. I don't need this crap. Um, 
Right. But whereas I'm the exact opposite. Right. But but this one this one it was there. It addressed it. You had feelings about it, and you know that's kind of how it went. And I think that's how movies should they should get you to think about it, but not shove it down your throat. There was actually a a quote from Woody Harrelson's character when when he's talking to another character where he actually comments on his eyes and he he says something to the effect of your eyes you know they're almost human and i just kind of chuckled internally with that um you know based on what you said greg uh but there there is definitely while we're we're talking about it and it sounds very serious you know it sounds very social commentary heavy there is some comic relief um (laughs) in a certain you're laughing at exactly what i'm talking about how good was he um Oh my god. He was great. I loved him. I I don't want to give too much away. He was just so cute. Absolutely. Absolutely. I had a couple of those all oh, bless his heart moments. <laughs> Ex- that's what I mean. Yeah. Um that's exactly what I mean. It was just a great movie. All right guys, so we continue our discussion of Game of Thrones and hopefully you guys are watching as well. We this will be a recur- recurring thing throughout the podcast. Those of you who are not fans of Game of Thrones, do not fear as there are only 5 episodes remaining this season. So stick around for five more episodes as we talk about Game of Thrones. This week's episode begins at Dragonstone during a torrential downpour. Not quite what we expected, maybe, from Danny's arrival at Dragonstone. She herself even goes on to say after Varys and Tyrion discuss the storm in which Danny was born. As she says, she does not remember that day, obviously, because she was just a couple hours old. A wee babe. A wee babe. But she uh, goes on to say she expected this to be more of a celebration, more uh, rainbows and sunshine than the heavy downpour that we we open up on. Which is much better than what everyone else expected, which is death and bloodshed. <laughs> oh, we still expect death and bloodshed. So we the episode begins um, after, of course, the, the shot of Dragonstone. The episode begins with a really tense, um, I wouldn't say argument, but... Discussion, discussion between yeah uh heavy discussion between Varys and and Danny um where they kind of finally work out their their differences I, I guess um Varys reveals that he wants a champion of the people and that's why he is now backing Danny and Danny threatens to burn him alive if he crosses her so he pledges his loyalty well he didn't really pledge his loyalty to her um, and I really like the way that they did it. She, she True. basically, it, to me, it seemed like she wanted to figure out where it was that he stood because he's betrayed monarchs in the past. And she says, how can I trust you? And basically he tells her that as long as you do what's best for the people, you don't have exactly. anything to worry about from me. Yeah. Because he's on the side of the people. Um, after that, we, we have, uh, Melisandre arriving at Dragonstone and she discusses the prophecy of the prince who was promised with Danny. And it's revealed that this prophecy that we've known as the prince who was promised is incorrectly translated. So it makes for a very interesting revelation for Daenerys. Because the actual literal translation, I guess, according to, um, oh, what's her name? The handmaiden. Danny's handmaiden. Miss Cindy, I think. Miss Cindy. Miss Cindy. Okay. Miss Cindy. <laughs> it's not 
Um, according to her, the actual translation is that the the noun that they use for prince does not have a gender, so it actually means prince or princess, basically. So it could be Danny. It could be. Yeah. I'm hung up on her name. I'm sorry. It's not Miss Cindy. I don't want to get it wrong. M I S S A N D E I. Miss Sandy. Look at me, I'm Miss Sandy. Oh, never mind. It's Miss Ande. Miss Ande. Miss Ande. So exactly, Rob. It could be Danny. So this prompts a discussion between Tyrion and Daenerys on bringing Jon Snow to Dragonstone to discuss not so much in partnership and Daenerys's eyes as she expects from Jon complete loyalty and devotion as her queen and requests that he come to Dragonstone and bend the knee. And we can all imagine how that's going to go. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, I'm watching this part and she, she's like, Oh yeah, you know, let's get him down here. And I'm like, all right, cool. Here we go. And she goes, and she just kind of looks at, at Tyrion or almost like right into the camera and says to bend the knee. And I'm just like, and it's like, Oh, oh no. <laughs> Really? You had to... We're going to do that. All right. <sighs> really? So after that, we uh, we we cut to the other end of that, that raven that Tyrion has so eloquently written, where Davos, uh, the Onion Knight, Sansa, and Jon Snow are discussing this letter that they've received from Tyrion. At first, they debate its um, authenticity, but in... Sansa's mind, John asks, you know, hey, you know him better than anybody else because they were <laughs> – let's not forget they were briefly married and uh, I guess technically still might be. But it is genuinely Tyrion as it says on the bottom something to the effect of, you know, a bastard is a bastard, which is something that he said to Jon Snow. And I said something to the effect, not a direct quote, but it is something that Tyrion said to Jon Snow early in their relationship. I believe the first time that they met actually. And John is really kind of torn on, on whether or not he should go do this. And he, he's really on the fence and he needs to, um, to talk to his people. And of course, like all, like all good, uh, good servants who are worried about their monarch. <laughs> they're like, are you insane? Yeah. <laughs> why, why would you go alone or with a very minimal escort into, you know, Exactly. Castle. <laughs> Didn't you learn from your father's mistakes? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Don't you remember what happened last time a Stark rode south? But, but that being said, with the presence of the White Walkers ever looming, he's got to get some kind of support or at least some kind of weapons or something. And uh, just, just some kind of help against the White Walkers because what he has isn't going to cut it. What he has is not very much, and right. him and his people are closer to the army of the dead than anyone. And like you said, they need something to fight that. And that something, we come to find out, is at Dragonstone, where John finally receives the raven from the Citadel from Sam, who has discovered that there is a uh, vein or pocket of dragon glass underneath Dragonstone. And not only that, but the dragons have, well, dragon fire, which is also a weapon against the dead. So this really kind of pushes the decision. It, it forces John to say, 
we've yeah, got to do point, this. At that point, there really is no decision to be made. He's got to go. I mean, it's 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 too enticing. There's too much to gain and too much to lose by not going. Exactly. And at Aldo, our, our little favorite person, Liana Mormont, stands up and says, you know, the king of the north needs to be in the north. It's it's I think it's the first thing that she said that I I just said, you know what? You're not stealing the scene this time. Yeah. <laughs> However, as he leaves, he leaves Sansa in charge. He leaves Sansa in in charge as she is who's, the only remaining Stark in the north. And whose decision making has been sketchy throughout the show at best. So, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> And John doesn't leave without running into, uh, I, I can't even say our favorite little snake or favorite little weasel because we'll get to mine here in a minute. But John runs into Littlefinger while John is down in the tomb of uh, Ned Stark. And, you know, I believe he's he's kind of down there to, to maybe gather strength from. Seek guidance. Or... Exactly. Uh, meditation, I, w I would say. And, uh. You know, little here comes little snake Littlefinger behind him, and I don't know what Littlefinger's deal is with the Stark one, but the guy has a, a crazy obsession. But it we we get to see Jon Snow uh, choke slam Littlefinger into the the stone wall and say, "If you put your fingers, your hands on, if you put your little finger on my sister, <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you put your little fingers on my sister, I'll kill you myself." That's I. I've got a bad feeling about that. I don't know that that's going to go well for John. I think there's some Ugh. treachery. I think there's some there's some treachery on its way from Littlefinger. Isn't there always? Yeah, he's just a little snake. And while he he does mention to John, he's hey, you'd be dead if it wasn't for me in the Knights of the Vale. Still, I I just I don't know what his motivation is. He makes my skin crawl. I can't stand him, and. I hope he gets what's coming to him. Creepy McCreeperton. I hope him and Varys just fight to the death. Well, Actually, I kind of like Varys. <laughs> I do. I like Varys as well. I like Varys a lot more than I did in the beginning, and I certainly like him a lot more than I do Littlefinger. And I have to say, after his speech with Danny, I like Varys. I like Varys even more than I did before. After the speech with Danny, where he reveals that he's kind of like on the people's side. He's he's yeah. the people's champion, if you will. <laughs> I was just thinking that. We got two wrestling references so far. Let's see how many more we can go. Oh, dear. This brings us to, you know, jumping around, of course, uh, for all the, the pieces falling into place. Uh, brings us to Cersei in the throne, the Iron Throne. Uh, we'll see how much longer she stays there. But she has brought all the monarchs and noble people from uh, the remaining lands that she has control of in Westeros to her court. And ask them all to remember the Mad King and what he did, and that Danny is still his daughter, and that she is not kind to noblemen, and she will kill all of them. So that they need they need to check their their loyalty right now. And well, and she also she also um, insinuates that uh, like father like daughter kind of, and yeah. you know the Mad King, and she kind of brought up the images that a lot of the nobles still remember of how cruel and insane the mad king was and is basically like well she's his daughter what do you think you will get from her you know you've 
you've been on our side. You've overthrown her father. We've killed her father. Do you really think she's going to give you any kind of uh, pass on that? Um, and kind of bullies them and and makes them believe that they're better off with her than they are with. Yeah, makes her makes her seem like a like a really aggressive Robin Hood. And and we should also mention that Danny's little planning session involved um, a a trick attack. They were basically going to try and send the Greyjoys and what they had of their fleet with the Dornish ambassador back to Dorne to try and pick up some forces so that they could all attack the Iron Throne, King's Landing, while the Unsullied kind of sneak their way around and take out Casterly Rock. And looking at all those scenes where they're planning stuff, I'm really starting to think that the best job to have in all of these lands is to be the person that makes those little figurines to move around on the big map. Because <laughs> everybody uses them. I so want the. You're pretty much set for life if you have that job. So, Greg, did you want to take on our yes. next part? Uh, yeah, I want to talk about Samuel Tarley's uh, cavalcade of disgustingness. Uh, in episode one, of course, he cleaned up all of the poop. All um, of the poop. It was the best montage of poop on, ever on television, as we discussed in, might, in our you might episode. It was a crap load of poop. Oh, I would not. <laughs> a buttload go on in episode three however we get a very uh, satisfying scab pool where sam decides to start treating jora and as part of that treatment he peels off a very large hunk of scab as it is spitting out a very long large hunk of scab of grayscale as it's spitting out green pus all over the place and he furiously saws at it. <laughs> was yeah. And, you know, telling telling uh, Jorah, just don't scream, because I'm not really supposed to be doing this. you got to be quiet. Which is... Ooh. As someone that has seen quite a few of those, uh, those videos on YouTube of people, like, popping things and, you know, draining spacious cysts and whatever else, um, that was satisfying. And a lot of people thought it was gross, but I was like... That seems like it feels better now. Yeah, um, it was like pulling the world's largest scab. It, uh, it, it was it was oddly satisfying. And uh, that pretty much takes us. Uh, you know, next week we'll find out whether or not it works. So at, at the end of that scene, of course, uh, what they've they've really liked to do, and we discussed this uh, last episode um, with uh, the montage of poop to come full circle again um when sam removes the scab from jorah they show the wound as it's starting to pus and it cuts to a very close-up shot of a man jabbing his spoon into a a, a pie that appears to be full of pus um, it's like some, some sort of pot pie yeah yeah and it's just another one of those scenes that just, ugh. but the ruining beef, the ruining beef stew. And also to reintroduce us to hot pie, hot pie, hot pie, hot pie is like the, um, he's like toothless from stranger things. Uh, I, I can't remember his name, but you know, he, he's just so lovable. 
and he's there in all his, you know, hot pinus. In all his hot pinus, um, reunited with Arya, who, you know, the whole the the big reveal of this scene is Arya is kind of traveling with Ed Sheeran, and they're on their way to um, be guest judges on the the Voice or American Idol or. Whatever Simon Cowell show is in town. Someone might have changed the channel midway through the show. I honestly don't remember seeing Ed Sheeran in that scene. But he was he wasn't, but Arya Jimmy had, started watching something else midway through. Arya had traveled. <laughs> she ended up there because of Ed Sheeran's group, him and his his band. Um Arya in this scene, the like I said, the big thing is she learns from Hot Pie that the North is no longer controlled by Ramsey Bolton as she's been gone this whole time. But in fact, Jon Snow is the King of the North and he is home in Winterfell. So that changes her plans. At which point she, she packs up and basically rushes out the door. She After says, downing a bunch of ale. Thanks. Hot pie. Take care of yourself. I got to go. Good to see you. And kind, of, and kind of runs out. Yep. So Arya heads North. And oh, and don't forget, Hot Pie tells her you're kind of pretty. <laughs> like, I don't believe I thought you were a boy. You're you're kind of pretty. I can't believe I thought you were a boy. You're kind of pretty. And I I love it. I just found it so endearing of Hot Pie when Arya's leaving. She looks at him and says, "Hot Pie, don't get yourself killed." And he says, "I'm like you, Ari. I'm a survivor." Rest in peace, Hot Pie. <laughs> <laughs> Next episode. (laughs) It's like Scream. You never say you'll be right back. Next episode, the hound burns down the inn. Steals all the food and the money. (laughs) Then feels bad about it and buries everybody. (laughs) After Arya leaves the inn, after her brief uh, meeting with Hot Pie, uh, Arya is camped out by herself with her horse, and she's kind of... um, leaning over a very small fire trying to get warm and her horse becomes startled by John Cena. (laughs) Sorry. Arya's horse becomes startled and we start cutting to wolves running very quickly all around her. And I don't know about you guys, but I thought, Oh man, this is not good for the faceless Arya Stark. It could be bad. It, it it looked pretty bad. Um, I had flashbacks to Never Ending Story and the the wolf in the cave it used to give me nightmares. Gamork. Yeah, Gamork. So Arya's encircled by all these wolves, but there's a twist in that the dire wolf who is leading the pack is Nymeria. Maybe Arya's long lost dire wolf. Her long lost direwolf and man. I see it when episode two of season one, maybe. It was a long. T- well, it was a long I don't time think ago. It was that early. I think it was a I little bit. Yeah. Um, but the way that they set that shot up, how they kind of used, you know, what maybe we we kind of all might have been first introduced to it in Lord of the Rings, where they positioned, you know, um, Viggo Mortensen's character at a certain you know, spacing away from Elijah Wood and the, the other hobbits uh, and even Gandalf to give that sense of scale to make Gandalf look super tall compared to the rest of them. Arya's direwolf looked massive. 
and I got just my tongue, my stomach clenched up. I was nervous for, her. I, I didn't know how that interaction was going to go. Cause man, that thing looked huge. Could have taken her head off in one bite. Well, but by the time, you know, when they show up, I mean, your first thought is, oh, that's got to be Arya's wolf. Because Arya's wolf is the only one still alive. They killed all the other ones. Jon Snow's I mean, wolf is still alive. I mean, granted, Ghost, there's no, there's no guarantee. What's that? Uh, Jon Snow's wolf is still alive. Ghost. Is it? Yeah. I thought they killed it when they killed him. No. Did, it, did they it get killed, They killed Rob's wolf. Yeah, they killed, killed Robs with the John's nose wolf is still alive. The uh so <clears throat> Arya's dire wolf is, you know, set in front of her, snarling, eventually calms down as Arya lays her as Arya lays needle on the ground in front of Nymeria and extends her hand and says, you know, finally, girl, we're going home. I'm going home. Come with me. And you almost expect in the next scene. <laughs> Um, Arya sitting atop Nymeria, headed to Winterfell. Yeah, I was expecting to see her go with like this army of wolves, like flanking her. Yeah, yeah. but that would have been awesome. Yeah, it would have been, but and it's really expensive for yeah go to make that with all the CG. Nymeria turns away, and Arya, her facial expression changes, and she says, "It's not you." Yep. Which is actually a callback to season one when Arya is talking to her father and her father says that one day she'll be a lady and she'll get married. And she says, no, that's not me. And it's actually a callback that was verified by the showrunners. That's not Arya's pet anymore. That's the queen of the pack and she's where she belongs. Yeah. You know, if you look at the show just from Arya's perspective and you kind of fast forward through all the other parts, this particular episode. So we got, so she you know, ran into an old friend that she hasn't seen in a while. She, uh, found her dog her she found out her brother is still alive and at the end of the whole thing someone called her pretty so her life really doesn't suck lastly daenerys's plan of trickery going back to pick up the dornish warriors that are eventually going to lay siege to king's landing hits a little bit of a snag you Small one one. you guys when you guys want to explain that little hiccup well it seems like their move has been either anticipated or they were extremely unlucky and ran across Urine Greyjoys. Urine? Euron? I guess I should pronounce that Euron. Um, <laughs> Euron Greyjoys. Uh, Iron Fleet. And it does not go so well for Reek and his sister. Doesn't go well for Theon certainly doesn't go well for the sand snakes who have become kind of a, a favorite they've they were kind of the fighting spirit of the dornish but it doesn't end well for them yeah not at all so they run into the fleet they get boarded there's lots of fire lots of death lots of ships getting destroyed uh, one of the sand snakes goes down because she attempts to fight in close quarters with a whip not a good plan. Yeah, not a good plan. Though, to be fair, she does have a dagger. She kind of uses the whip like Scorpion from Mortal Kombat and pulls him in and slashes. And you kind of think for a minute that they have the upper hand. But Euron is just a 
he's he's possessed i mean he's he's inhabited by the the spirit of the water god um you know he went through that ritual and he's he's got a certain power about him and i can't stand him he's i i i hate him about as much if not more than theon when theon was theon <laughs> if that makes sense he's kind if of you a watch the star. show it does he's very much a rock star the the kind of un you know the loose uh top and just kind of the Hey, hey, man! You know, I'm I'm the man. Uh, the Fonz. Hey, <laughs> hey! Good to be here. I'm Theon, not Theon. You're on. You're in. You're, You're in, in Greyjoy. You're in Greyjoy. But yeah, the episode ends with, you know, uh, the the good Greyjoy fleet getting absolutely demolished. Theon doesn't attempt to save his sister who's been taken captive by Euron, but instead he, he, he gives a really weak cannonball over the side of the ship. I mean, I, I give it maybe a two out of 10 and that's yeah, being you're generous. Always you're like the Russian judge. You always give lower grades. He, it wasn't a very good dive, you know, but, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens with that. It was certainly a very cowardly move. Theon reverted back to reek when you know Theon was was fighting among everyone else and he kind of looked like his old self and man Ramsey Bolton really did a number on him so what did you guys think of this episode i was very disappointed when it ended did you did you just kind of want it to keep going i did how it end, how it <laughs> ended with you know um jack from the titanic yeah or, so or, far or, you say Rose? so far both episodes that we've seen i've been like no that's it crap <laughs> i gotta wait till next week <laughs> i thought it was i don't know it's it, we had our our first major battle of the season and i didn't really expect it in the the battle at the sea but it's certainly you know we're starting to see that um at least i believe we're starting to see that daenerys is not infallible and that maybe it's not as easy as just going and taking the throne. It's going to be a little bit... The, oh, the, the Lannisters and, are going to make it harder than that. And we should probably mention, there is one there is one part where I think we might have a little bit of foreshadowing. Because I think there's a possibility that we will end up with only two dragons. Oh... Forgot about Weird Science Man. But yeah, that's okay. As, as Weird Science Man takes Cersei down into the into the dungeon, or I guess uh, King Robert's lair where he hid all of his special trophies, um, they were trying to figure out what to do about the dragons, and her kingly science guy takes her down and shows her basically a dragon harpoon. Um, and shows her that it's effective enough to pierce a dragon skull. Yes. So... I think it's entirely possible, and I've heard all kinds of things thrown about, about how, you know, there's three dragons, they think we're going to have three dragon riders, because then Daenerys and Jon, and people were saying that Tyrion, because the dragons have tolerated him, would all end up riding a dragon. I think that might not be the case. I think we might end up with only two dragons. Yeah, if you're right, and Bill Nye the Lannister guy has his way. 
<laughs> that is totally what I'm going to call him from now on. <laughs> oh my, the Lannister guy. I, I don't really think, I don't think we're getting any better than that. So we should probably uh, move on to our next topic. It's a little bit late, but we're going to talk about Spider-Man Homecoming next because all three of us finally had the opportunity to see it. Finally. So guys, so guys, what did you think? Well, I'm really glad you guys didn't spoil this one for me. Um, not not that you guys are the type to do that, but um, and and we're gonna try and not spoil it for them either. We're gonna we're try gonna very do, hard. We're gonna do our best, guys. But it's yeah, you could hear something, so just be warned. Yes. Um, Spoiler warning and all. It's a better movie, not spoiled. Yes, yeah. I I really trust the both of your opinions. When it comes to movies, music, of course, everything that we talk about. And while, you know, I said in previous conversations that we've had, maybe not on the the show, um, that I didn't really care about Spider-Man. And I, I think I've realized that that really came from the past four movies that they made. Which I did not like any we, of those movies. Yeah, we will draw comparisons to those as we go forward. But I, I'm really glad I saw it in the theater. I'm glad it wasn't spoiled for me. I, I don't know how it wasn't. Maybe, you know, the universe was in my favor, but I really, really enjoyed this movie. Now, I'm not going to lie. I did like the um, Andrew Garfield Spider-Man. I never saw um, it. I I thought he did I thought he did a decent job. Tobey Maguire was not one of my favorite Spider-Men like at all. I did not like I did not like the Tobey Maguire. No, he was like much. I think he was like in his late 20s or maybe early 30s when he first started playing the role. So he was playing yeah, a teenager. And I think they might have poked a little fun at that uh, in the movie, but we'll we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, but I'm, Tom I'm Holland. Barely convinced they did. Go ahead. Yeah. T Tom Holland was excellent. And he was I don't awesome. Know, I don't know exactly how old he is, but it seems like he's closer to the age of like Peter Parker in high school should be. I'm going to send a, a little telegram down to our research department as you guys chat they will work on finding out exactly how old tom holland is all right uh but yeah i mean i i really enjoyed this movie and um he's 21 oh is he dang all right well he's close to a teenager i guess i don't know close <laughs> um one of the one of the things that I did like about this movie, and I think Greg, you you actually mentioned it, and I, and I, I have to agree with you, was that um, I liked that they didn't rehash and start over the Spider-Man story. We didn't have to see Uncle Ben die again. We didn't need um, to see him get bit by a spider. We didn't need right, to deal with power exactly. and responsibility. No origin story. I liked that it picked up right after um, Captain America: Civil War. So as someone who hasn't seen the one with Andrew Garfield, did they redo the origin story in that one? Yes. Yes. Oh. yes they did. And they just made it moodier rather but, than But I did like Andrew Andrew uh Andrew's per portrayal of Peter Parker better. I thought he had some better mannerisms than Tobey Maguire did. Like Yeah, that's that's correct I think too, but they let Mark Webb direct those other two Spider-Man movies, Amazing Spider-Man 1 and 2. He's a indie film director he did um 500 days of summer which i happen to love but he definitely brought that indie sensibility of moodier more more character based pieces which when you go to see a superhero movie that's not exactly what most people want right but um 
all in all, I thought the movie was really good. It had a really nice story going. Um, the villain was a great character. I didn't really think that he was overdone like you get in some comic book movies. You know what I'm saying? Like where the villain is kind of over the top and not really all that believable. Um, yeah, like bent on world domination. I would go out on a limb and say that for me, that his portrayal, um, Michael Keaton's portrayal of the Vulture, was my favorite villain in any of the Marvel movies. Really? Oh, it wow. made sense. It wasn't over the top. It was, in fact, Cause, it was cause... until very late in the movie that I realized, oh, Vulture, he's picking up scraps and there's some uh, you know, that's I didn't make that connection I because because I don't I don't know about that because I really think that the um the new magneto is fantastic oh that yeah that's a very good point he's really good. I meant like the Marvel Studios movies because he's not he's still in Sony oh so he's technically not Marvel Studios gotcha okay I gotcha I mean you're comparing that to what Red Skull Thanos well, but you really haven't seen too much of Thanos so far. Um but I thought I thought um I thought Kurt Russell was excellent in the second Guardians movie. Right. Kurt Russell was good. Kurt Russell was excellent in the second Guardians movie. I feel when they flesh out their villains, it's a lot better. And when they when they give them multifaceted personalities where in some ways they're likable. Mm-hmm. In yeah, other I... ways they're villains trying to kill everybody. I think there was a fair amount of attention paid to Vulture or Michael Keaton's character. There, there was a fair amount of attention paid to him. While I don't think it made him likable, that's my personal opinion, um, I understood his reasons for doing what he was doing. And that gave him some some credit, I guess, but I thought he was great in it, too. Well, being a Pittsburgher, and Michael Keaton is a, is a Pittsburgher, um, he basically played most of the people... <laughs> He basically played most of the people that I grew up with. Yeah, us Pittsburghers. Could make a lovely sandwich. Hey, wait a minute. That's trademark, guys. Nobody, nobody trying to do that. Don't. You can't have that. That's ours. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be so unhealthy. Really, back in. So, what did you guys think about the other performances? We talked about Tom Holland as Spider-Man and Michael Keaton as the Vulture. Uh, what did you think about the other cast? Um. I I gotta I gotta admit I still love Marissa Tomei. Swoon. I was. Oh, I'm still seeing her in my cousin Vinny. Oh that's, man, that's what I was thinking that's of. Inside outfit. Oh my god, what? Anyway, she's she's still doing an excellent job, and she has probably one of the funniest lines in the whole movie. When I first heard the casting of Marissa Tomei, it was really different. Since as we established earlier, I am the comic nerd. Mm-hmm. Completely different view of Aunt May. And it, to, you know, I thought about it a little bit. And it, it was took, very different. Yeah. Cause you know, she was always sassy, but she was like way old. Right. And exactly. that, that's she what stayed I was, way I was old like, is she old forever. enough to play Aunt May? I don't know, but yeah, but I like the take on it. I think it, it added a few more dimensions, which Did, is good. I don't like where, this rep- repetition. This right. isn't so much of a spoiler, but when Peter was in the sandwich shop and he ordered and, the uh, gentleman behind the counter said, in his language, Spanish. he said, yeah. Spanish, he, he said, oh, she's a hot Italian woman. Was that even before we saw Aunt May? No, because you saw Aunt May in the Captain America Civil War movie. Which I still have not seen. I'm so sorry. 
Oh, what? I know. Oh, you're you're fired. You're fired. <laughs> All right, guys, it's been good. The, the some of the other people that stood out for me is first of all I have absolutely no idea what a Zendaya is. Um, I do not. I looked it up afterwards. Apparently, she is an actress from from Disney movies, I believe. She is, yeah. Um, I thought her portrayal of the kind of brooding, moody, um, smart, super smart character was great. I, I thought she provided some comic relief, although the movie really didn't need it too much because the movie was funny. Yeah. Um, yeah, about her second or third joke or line in the movie, my wife leaned over to me and was like, I like her. Yeah, and she I, she provided kind of the um, easy there, cowboy, like take it down a notch Yeah, that yeah. that Tony Stark did in, in the yeah. movie. But she was kind of the constant like elbow in the ribs like, hey, you're not you're not, you know, all that hot. Come on now. Calm down. I do have to make one one criticism. I I didn't really like the Flash character, and it, it didn't have so much to do with his acting or his character. So much the fact that they decided to call him Flash, and it's like, well, the, because he doesn't really to to call him Flash, and because Flash is like the bully, and you know he kind of like gives Peter Parker a hard time, but Peter Parker's better than him at like all of it, and it's like he's not really a bully. I mean, all he really is is just somebody who like kind of pokes fun at people, and it's like yeah, I thought that was weird too, especially knowing who Flash is in the comic because in, Fla- yeah. in the comic he's like the flat top jock that's always wearing the varsity jacket, mm-hmm. and the weird thing about that is, and they sort of touched on it in the movie, is that he is a bully to Peter Parker, but he's a fanboy to Spider Man in the comic. Right. Well, and in but, the movie, they sort of touched on it where he was a bully to Peter Parker, although undeservingly, but right. he was reverential of Spider-Man. Right. Well, but the other the other issue is, is that the the interaction that they have is that he's a physical bully to Peter Parker and Peter Parker has to allow it so that he doesn't reveal, you know, who he is because he could yeah. break Flash in half. But, you know, that whole interaction is also gone now because there's no restraining of his powers or anything like that when he's dealing with Flash because, you know, he can't let people know. Um, I mean, I mean, he was an okay character. Uh, The actor was fine. I didn't have any problems with the actor. But I I was just I just thought they should have just made a new character, basically, and said, oh, here, here's this guy who's challenging Peter Parker in the, you know, in the intellectual arena, because that is certainly not Flash. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I, I I will as well. If if there was any weak point, I I would say it would be the treatment of that character. Some of the characters that are almost cult characters, um, Donald Glover and Martin Starr. Donald Martin Glover, Starr, yeah. Donald Glover played a a character that was buying yeah. some, a special weapon. Yeah, he was buying a weapon, and the character again, knowing from the comics, is a character named the Prowler. Which we'll talk a little bit about that later. Um, and Martin Starr, who is on Silicon Valley, which I happen to love, he played kind of a coach to Peter Parker in this intellectual trivia bowl kind of thing. And I actually didn't recognize him at first because on Silicon Valley, he plays this very dry nihilist type person with you know, long hair over his face and he talks very monotone and you know here he is playing a, a high school teacher that's almost warm in a way and and you know, kind of inviting uh-huh oh yeah there was that one part where they're being interviewed and he's like oh to to lose a student on a trip would be terrible i wouldn't want that to happen again <laughs> i was just like oh my god and and it's just such a monotone delivery it's like again yeah. I immediately was like, I want to see that movie. <laughs> yeah, right. 
Um, so, so what did you guys think of the plot? Did you think it kind of flowed pretty well? I think so. You know, yeah, I, I have to say that I really think it did. Um, I really, like I said before, I really liked that it. it picked up after um, Captain America: Civil War, and de- and Peter Parker dealing with returning to high school after everything that he's experienced. You know, fighting alongside superheroes and coming into his powers, and you know, wanting to be part of something bigger, but still having to do homework <laughs> yeah that that led to a really awesome yeah. um montage where they were showing him doing simple superhero duties which were not even superheroing it was like rescuing cats from trees and she bought me a churro <laughs> leaving notes on stolen bikes yeah. yeah um trying to find crime someone was trying to get into their own car and sl- jumping down and smashing the dude's face into the car yeah, and that's the part where we saw Stan Lee's cameo. So it was definitely one of those things where he wasn't immediately jumping right into the superheroing, and it was showing that without outwardly saying superheroing is hard, basically just showing, oh, look, you're not just going to put on a, a uniform and be a superhero. You're not going to just get powers and all of a sudden find crime in your neighborhood. Right. And, you know, so, some of the message of the movie is is you have to be comfortable with who you are and find yourself. And it's, and essentially, that's kind of like Spider-Man's journey in this movie. You know, figuring out who he is and what he wants to be and how he wants to get there and and all of that. And I, I just thought the plot moved along really well. It had a it had a coherent story. You felt some of the some of the pain of Peter Parker. And I'm sorry, but I loved Peter Parker's friend. He he he. Oh, helped, Ned. Ned. He helped yeah. move things along. He was, he was so good. He was the comic relief. Guy he in was, a chair. Yeah, he, I'm the guy in the chair. <laughs> yeah, that's so good. Yeah. So he um he he did he did a really good job, and you know just just the interaction between the two of them was was fantastic. Ned was kind of like his oracle, so to speak. The villain was great. The villain's motivation was good. You know, I didn't really have Agreed. too many issues with why they put things where they did. And why they had things develop the way they did, you know, it was just kind of like, oh, okay, you know, because I've been in movies where I've sat there and I've been like, no, no, wait a minute, why are we here? I don't, I don't. All he had to do was do this, and there's no movie. I don't understand yeah. why we're doing this. I think that the villain's motivation was good, but and Spider-Man's motivation for getting involved with the villain was really good because mm-hmm. of what I said before, where you know, Spider-Man was you know, a hero looking for a crime to stop. Mm-hmm. He finally sees something that's a legit crime and legitimately dangerous and worthy of superpowers and he pursues that as a result of failing so much earlier in the movie right what i really what i thought about afterwards was you know spider-man got his start in civil war where he had this huge battle with some of the most powerful people in the marvel universe Mm -hmm. and then was immediately rescuing cats from trees and trying to prove himself again. It was almost like a, a musician or something that had their first album go platinum immediately and then trying to find themselves and failing miserably on their second album. Yeah, it's it's kind of a common theme, you know, with these single superhero movies where you see his development, he kind of gets full of himself and you're kind of waiting for that moment to, you know, where he gets knocked back down to earth. And, and that happened, you know, pretty hard for him. Um, so you got, you mentioned the, the humor. Well, I thought the humor in this movie was, uh, you know, certainly a far cry from the the kind of crude humor that you got with Deadpool. Um, although they're oh, yeah, very but similar. I loved that humor in Deadpool. I thought oh, they did a oh, great job with that. Look, it was fantastic. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Um, I, I, I did too. It's it. that's the humor that we do when we're not recording. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <And> sometimes when <laughs> we are for recording. All you know, sometimes. Yeah, for all posterity. But you know, it's nice to have a movie out there that I could legitimately. 
watch with my four year old and not have to explain why the why the man is having sex with the unicorn. Yeah. <laughs> but it it was funny without it wasn't forced. You know, the humor it wasn't forced. It was it was pretty PG, you know, the humor, but I, I was laughing more than, than anything else in the movie. Um I, I just thought it was super funny. You know, a lot of of movies will be great all the way through, and then they fail to end well. They fail to stick the landing, so to speak. Um, what'd you guys think? That was not the case in this movie. I was one hundred percent agree. I was very satisfied with the ending. It was, it was that. Yeah, they they did a great job with it. And like I said, you know, the movie is about Peter Parker finding his place, and I'm I'm happy with the way they ended it. Yeah, one of my big pet peeves with with superhero movies is the destroy the mothership and all of the other bad guys stop fighting immediately or shut down or and this one actually had like a legit good ending good fight it was organic to the movie yes yeah absolutely um i thought the ending just my, my two cents here I, I thought it wrapped up really well i thought it was very spider-man um uh, knowing what i do about him and uh it, it i i don't think it failed if you do watch this movie definitely stick around after the credits and yes. then stick around after the credits again. It it is a Marvel movie. Stay until the lights come on. I know that there was that there was probably a ton of stuff that I missed in the movie. So I'm going to I'm going to ask you, Greg, because I know you probably picked up a bunch of that nerdy stuff. <laughs> Greg, oh, I did. Greg is our resident uh, resident uh, comic book guru, so he catches a lot of like the Easter egg stuff. So. Greg, can you uh, can you enlighten us on any of this? Go for I, it, I Greg. A, this, I got a few. This is your platform, I, man. I got a few, but I, I don't think I'm going to talk about it until Jimmy comes up with an Easter egg theme song for me. All right, you ready? I got one. Yeah, bring it. Easter egg, Easter egg. Trust that Greg will reveal the Easter eggs. Easter eggs, Easter eggs. Watch out! Here comes the Greg Easter egg. Well done, Jimmy. Well done. Thank you, sir. <laughs> this is the Greg Easter Egg Minute for the movie Spider Man. Okay, so some of the some of them, some of them were were based on classic villains, and one of the the classic villains in the Spider Man comics was a character named the Shocker, and he is well known because his his uniform or his outfit was kind of a yellow quilted like full jumpsuit thing, and while that. Full uniform didn't show up in the movie because it would be really hard to translate, especially as a side character. Um, the the first character that was using that weapon, the Shocker weapon, was wearing a yellow quilted jacket, and they definitely spent some time with the camera on that. Huh. Donald Glover's character, who I mentioned earlier, who is now refresh me again. Who who was he again? Was he the principal? No, Donald Glover was the was the guy that was purchasing the weapon. The uh, in the, actually he was in the scene with the with the Shocker. And Donald Glover, he's on the show show Community. He is going to be Lando Calrissian in the Han Solo movie. A huge amount of nerd cred and a remarkably talented person both in writing and music and acting. Yeah, everything. absolutely. And his character in the movie is actually, they don't say it, but is a character called the Prowler in the comics. Kind of a vigilante type character who has a nephew named Miles Morales. And in the Spider-Man movie... He mentions his nephew, Miles Morales, and Miles yep. Morales is also Spider-Man. He's the ultimate Spider-Man from the Ultimate Universe that started in 2001 like in the comic book side. Oh, huh. okay. And now the, the ultimate Spider-Man has been 
brought over to the regular Marvel Universe. There's technically in the comics two Spider-Men. Very convoluted if you guys don't read the comics. Uh, there's a lot of references to Damage Control, which is was a joke comic from the from the 90s of where they basically would clean up after all the superheroes. In this case, they kind of legitimized it as the Department of Damage Control. There were... Yeah, the DODC. Yeah. There's a lot of references to famous scientists, like real-world ones, like Einstein and Tesla, but they also stuck Howard Stark, Tony Stark's dad, in there. They stuck Erskine, who was the guy that created the super, the super serum for Captain America, Bruce Banner, who we all know he's the Hulk. One of my favorite Easter eggs in the movie kind of goes back to something Rob was talking about, where he was talking about how all the Marvel movies are kind of interconnected. Mm-hmm. So the principal of Peter's school was named Principal Marita. And on his file cabinet, there was a picture of a like World War II veteran. And I figured the camera stayed on it just like too long. It was facing towards the camera in it a way did. that they wanted you to see it. So I was like, so I kind of went home and looked it up. And apparently the actor from the Captain America movie that played a character named, um, named Marita was with fighting with, um, Captain America in the Howling Commandos, and this apparently is his grandson, and he's now yeah. principal. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's that's really cool. I I didn't make that connection immediately, um, but like like I I agree that they stayed on that for a second. I'm like, this has to be significant. My um, Easter egg, if if you want to call it that, the thing that I picked up on when they um, elected Zendaya's character, who I believe her name was Michelle. Yes. Um, they they say, oh, you know, Martin Starr's character, he says, oh, you know, we're electing a new team captain for our academic league. And she says, well, my friends call me MJ. And I, I may have been the only one in the theater that kind of put my hand over my mouth. I was like, <gasps> <gasps> because MJ is, you know, Mary Jane. Um, yeah. Peter Parker's I think that was more of, more of fan service in a way, but they definitely did it on purpose. They definitely did it as an Easter egg to kind of oh, wink at the sure. audience. Like you're going to be looking for this this character because we haven't done it yet. Yeah, that kind of you're expecting to see her the whole film, but you know when she said that, I, I kind of looked around. I was like, "Hey, anybody else catch that? Anybody? No? Okay, I'm the only one. All right, whatever." And that and that disappoints me for for you know you know the reasons why I'm disappointed with obvious that reasons. If, uh, <laughs> if she if she does turn out to be MJ, however, there's at least 15 minutes I've had to. Um, sift through of rob talking about redheads between the two episodes i've listened to <laughs> and the weird thing is that's actually the smallest amount of time i've heard rob talk about redheads in all the times i've talked i've hung out with him so there was also a joke um that may have been a little kind of nod towards um another film as as i talked about earlier was uh you know deadpool spider-man being kind of like a less obnoxious deadpool but mm-hmm. When they were in the gym after Captain America gave his little on-screen appearance um, on the TV, uh, there's <laughs> there's a great, yeah it was amazing. But there's a group of girls, including Liz, Peter Parker's love interest, who's sitting in the stands, and the girls around her, you know, she says something, and the girls say, "Oh, you have a crush on you know Spider-Man," and one of the 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 people that she's talking to says uh, something to the effect of. Well, you don't even know what he looks like. He could be burned all over his body. 
And I thought that was a, a connection to nice. Deadpool. Yes, nice catch, Allah. But also in that same one, didn't they also didn't they also say that? Oh, well, he could also be like thirty. They did, and I like to think that was a nod to, you know, the previous Spider-Man films with Tobey Maguire being Tobey Maguire, yeah. However old he was playing a college student, or not college student, but a high school high student, school. although yeah. he didn't look like one. So I I I'd like to think that that was. Um, really the last thing I noticed was also probably a hint for what's going to happen in future movies. Um, there's a character, um, it was played by Michael Mando, who you guys might know from Better Call Saul, um, Orphan Black, you know, some of those movies, some of those shows. He always plays like a thug. I was in Breaking Bad as well, but he is in the scene that was in some of the trailers with like the ferry boat getting ripped apart. He was on that ferry boat in the process of trying to purchase some high-end weaponry. And what ends up happening is you see him and you find out that it, what is, that his name is Mac Gargan. You also see that there's a scorpion tattoo on his neck and oh, yeah, Mac Gargan. That guy. Yes. Yeah. Mac yeah. Gargan is actually the scorpion, one of Spider-Man's oldest villains from like one of the early comics. And he's, you know, wears a green scorpion suit with this giant like power eye or, you know, uh, what we're looking for? Where's this green? No, uh, power like mechanical, I guess. Where's this? Uh, the scorpion wears this green suit with this giant mechanical tail that he uses as a weapon. And I'm assuming in the near future we're going to see that because he plays a a small part in the movie, but he plays multiple parts in the movie. Yeah, he kind of planted in there. Um, nice you know, for future installments. So guys, um, I think it's clear what we all felt um, about this movie. What, uh, you have any closing thoughts before we move on to something equally as important and cool? I, I will, I will say without trying, without trying not to give away too much that the twist got me. I did not see it. Coming. It got I, me good. I'll, I'll admit it. I didn't see it coming. I that, also did not see it coming. The twist um, that we're we're dancing around. Um, there were actually, including myself, people in the theater um, yelling at the screen. <laughs> uh, I was one of them. Yeah. I'm not ashamed to admit yeah, it. When I was talking to my wife after seeing it, I basically. She does not know much about the comics or anything about the comics. I basically said, Spider-Man is best when Peter Parker is a loser that can't get anything right. And Spider-Man is an an underappreciated winner. And when things were happening to Peter Parker that were seemed like they were going well, um, in this case, also where we got the name for the movie, when Peter Parker asks a girl to homecoming and she says yes... I was definitely waiting for some battle to break out or something to pull him away and make him have to, you know, leave her at the altar, so to speak. Yeah. And give up what Peter Parker wants to do what Spider-Man needs to do. Exactly. Yep. And it, that part of the movie really made, made me believe that the people that made the movie really from the producer, director, writers all the way down through the actors knew what they were doing 
because they hit that note. There's been a lot of stuff going on this week between D23 next week, which we're going to talk about later in this show. Uh, we've got Comic-Con starting up and all the news coming out of that. In fact, Rob, this is going to be really important to you. I'm not sure if you saw it, but they showed some um, DuckTales footage at Comic-Con. Oh, ironically, did they really? not not at D23, which is the Disney yeah, that's uh, weird. show. But they showed it at um, Comic-Con, and they revealed... I have to say, life is like a hurricane. But they revealed in the new DuckTales show, the return of Darkwing Duck is actually happening. No, is it really? <gasps> it is. So here, so the reason why, for those of you at home listening, and this picture will actually show up somewhere on the Facebook page someday. It's actually um, already somewhere on the internet you can find it. Yeah, there there is a really fantastic Darkwing Duck costume and a Darkwing Jedi costume that happens to be our very own, or Gimme Five Podcast's very own, Rob. Thank you. Thank so, you. It's very good. When I get a chance to post that picture on, on the Facebook page, you can feel free to uh, to see Darkwing Duck in person at and, many comic shows around the country. And I've I've done both of those. The I, I did Darkwing Duck last year. Um, I redid Darkwing Duck again this year, and the costume has been pretty popular. All the all the people who come up to take pictures are like, "Oh, that's my childhood! Yeah, let me get a picture." And they send their kids up to take pictures with me, and the kids are like, "Who the hell is this?" If what's only this? they knew <laughs> what's going on. But um, <laughs> this year, I also did a mashup for Darkwing Duck. I did it for Star Wars Celebration, um, which was back in February, was it? So for Star Wars Celebration, I did a Darkwing Duck Jedi mashup. And it was really popular, and then I did it again at MegaCon when MegaCon came around in May. No, it was absolutely awesome. I'm I'm usually stuck holding all of his stuff and taking pictures of him, so I definitely can see how many people come over there. It's pretty hard to walk around with him when he's in costume. It's exhausting for me, and I'm not the one wearing you know 30 pounds of duck costume. However, there is, as I said, a ton of stuff to talk about. Yes. Sure. So that brings us to our last of our five for this episode. And for the introduction for that, I would... Uh... Why don't you go ahead and, and tell us what that is, Rob? <laughs> I would be yeah. more than happy to. You're the one. Um, recently, we have received a ton of information from D23. That's oh, right. Yes. The big Disney convention, and they dropped a they dropped several bombs on us this year. So we're gonna we're gonna discuss those. All right. So. They've released a lot of information with regards to new movies that are coming out. Um, while those are really cool, um, what we're going to focus on is the theme park information. And I think first and foremost, the thing that everybody's concerned and excited about is the new Star Wars Hotel. Did you guys hear anything about that? Oh, man. Yes, I want to get reservations right now. Immediately. <laughs> and, and I think... I think they've already sold out for like the first 10 years. <laughs> right? Like I'm thinking maybe about the time of my 50th birthday, I'm going to be able to just convince the family to go there. Absolutely. And that's where I want to spend my 50th yeah. birthday or whatever birthday it happens to be. And the the information that they've given sounds absolutely amazing. The The hotel is going to be a completely immersive environment. It's going to be one of those things – I believe in the interview, he actually said that you're going to go to the window, look out, and see space. And if I'm not mistaken, there's a plot right behind Hollywood Studios that they're currently working on that is not – doesn't look like it's part of Star Wars Land or where Star Wars Land is projected to be. And 
if it's what I'm thinking, I'm thinking the hotel is going to connect directly to Star Wars land. So you're going to walk out of the hotel right into Star Wars land at Hollywood Studios. That kind of stuff that makes me really wish I was like 11 again. Oh, no. <laughs> right. <laughs> Getting on the Millennium Falcon. Yeah. So you have to look forward to it in 15 years. Exactly, exactly. Because you won't be able to get a reservation for the next, like, 15 years. <laughs> um, so it's it's going to be absolutely amazing. And there's going to be a lot of role play involved, I believe, with the staff and also how they interact with you in regards to some of the rides that are going to be in Star Wars Land. Star Wars Land is actually going to house two rides, one is going to be the uh, First Order versus Resistance. And one of which you actually get to climb inside of a dead Tauntaun. I don't believe that's correct. And I thought they smelled bad on the outside. That's me. <laughs> but the second one will involve some form of driving the Millennium Falcon, some kind of simulator. And from what I understand, that one is kind of going to follow you. And the only way I can see them doing that is if they link it to like your magic band, where as you walk past, the sensors will pick up and it'll register how you did on the ride. You know, whether you crashed the Millennium Falcon or whether you did a really good job and saved the galaxy or some kind of training mission or something. And they're gonna, they're either going to congratulate you or harass you for the rest of your day at the park, which could be a good or a bad thing. Yeah, I heard it's going to work... Like, are you a good guy, a bad guy, or kind of ambiguous? Are you like a scoundrel? Oh, okay. okay. Light side or so dark does that side? mean so, you have so free like to do what you want? I think so. So if you shoot down a bunch of TIE fighters, you might get harassed by stormtroopers. It's supposed to be part of a completely in immersive role-playing environment. And I think this is the first hotel that has that has like incorporated that idea pretty much anywhere, where... It encourages you to play along. Yeah, I heard this announcement, and if it was anyone but Disney who made this announcement and said, oh, we're opening this hotel in, in Las Vegas, and it's going to be completely immersive, and it's going to be fully staffed with actors 24-7, and you're going to do these missions, I'd say, oh, okay, I give that about two years. But <laughs> right. being that it's Disney, um, I, I'm just super excited. Have you guys seen the, the concept art? I mean, it just looks so cool. Yeah, I've I seen, saw the fly-through of the model. Some of the, I didn't see the fly-through of the model. I just saw some stills, and it looked really neat. Yeah, there's a very cool fly-through of the model. You could probably find it on YouTube or any of the travel sites. It, I, I believe Real you're going to be issued uniforms. That's going to be expensive. Oh, boy. Especially when people don't return them because they want to take them home. <laughs> well, I'm assuming that but, they just let true. you take them home. Uh, they would probably charge you. I, for, I really don't want to be wearing yeah. a uniform that uh, you know some crazy tourist was wearing. True. Fair enough. Fair enough. And I thought they smelled bad on the outside. <laughs> <laughs> there it is again. Unfortunately, it does seem like Anaheim is going to get their Star Wars land first. So it's going to be at Disneyland first, which likely means that Star Wars Celebration, because Star Wars Celebration comes comes here every two years and it goes, I believe, to Europe every two years. Uh, this coming year, it's going to be in Europe because it was here in Orlando this year. So next year, it'll be in Europe. And then the following year, which will be 2019, it'll be back in the U.S. And they, I believe they expect the Anaheim Star Wars land to open up 
around the time of Star Wars Celebration. So they're looking at like uh, April, I believe. April 2019 for the Anaheim. Did you get your tickets already? (laughs) No, I I can't I can't afford that. But um, so I would think somewhere around April or May for Anaheim. And that's when they'll do the Star Wars celebration. And I would imagine that they would probably host the Star Wars celebration in California this year or that year. They may do some kind of I, I would expect that they would do some kind of opening celebration. But I don't think that they expect the the Orlando Star Wars land to open till sometime around October, November, like the like the end of the year, basically. But regardless, it's going to be absolutely amazing. Yeah, one of the things I saw was that they're opening up Mickey and Minnie's first ride. It's going to be called Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway. It's going to go into um, Hollywood Studios, despite this very official article calling it MGM Studios, which is not accurate. <laughs> but it's going to go into the where the great movie ride was. And on a whim about a month ago or two months ago, right before our seasonal pass went out of season, we decided to bring my four-year-old onto that ride, uh, which led to a few things. First of all, explaining what a xenomorph was from the movie Aliens. Um, like he's like a big puppy that's yeah, <laughs> that uh, bursts forth from your chest, and then I had to stop because my wife gave me that look and the elbow. Yeah, the, the elbow. So, but I'm glad he got to see it because he was definitely there. Are certain things he was interested in, and some of those movies that they feature, while very outdated, are classic. You know, he liked the interactivity of the ride. So, and stuff that you can build on with him for the future. Yeah, exactly. You know, when he turns six and we have our family viewing of aliens, <laughs> I can I can be like, remember, you saw this when you were four. I thought that was a, f- a five year thing. Yeah, your five is aliens. Your six is showgirls. Right. There you go. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. So they're opening up this Mickey Minnie's Runaway Railway. And from the concept art and the drawings and stuff, it really looks like they're using the new Mickey and Minnie shorts style. It's almost a combination of, of regular animation and almost flash animation style Mm. Uh, it's very it's very very artsy and i'm actually really surprised that they're going that route rather than going with the black and white classic type disney and mickey animation that they've done in some of the shorts recently like the movie shorts instead of the tv ones because i know people either love them or hate them Hmm. yeah i hadn't seen any of i hadn't seen any of the video from you know it's crazy that they have not had a ride for mickey and minnie ever in any of the parks in any of the countries I didn't even think about that. Uh, what else did they announce at D23? Well, some of the other changes coming to the parks. Um, two of the ones that I can remember offhand are going to be at Magic Kingdom. Magic Kingdom in Tomorrowland, I believe, right behind the the Speed Racers or the the Raceway. Uh, they're putting in the Tron ride. I think that's going to take over the Raceway. I think the Raceway is going away. I had heard that it wasn't necessarily going to be removed, that it was going actually behind. Yeah, I hear uh, one side or the other. So yeah, it, I guess that's... I, I, hear, I hear it's actually going behind the raceway, um, just just to the backside of, I believe it's Space Mountain, in that wooded, that wooded lot right there, but, uh, behind Space Mountain and behind the uh, raceway. There's something about walking into Tomorrowland... <laughs> And smelling this, the pure gasoline fumes just sitting there on the 101 degree day that really <laughs> welcomes you to the future. And the burning asphalt. Yeah, yes. the burning asphalt and the smell of those little, the little race cars. It's, it's, 
it's still so much fun and it's just as maddening as traffic when there's a, a four-year-old in front of you driving on the wrong side <laughs> at two miles an hour swerving back and forth maybe he's the only person on the planet to get road raid on a ride that you're on a track and it's going two miles an hour and you have <laughs> you have uh you have cast members standing there just glaring at you when you're uh, come on kid get oh out of it's just like i4 oh my god yeah so as far as what i know about the tron ride is it's basically like a light cycle ride and it's it's the most popular ride at Shanghai Disney. Other than that, I don't know a ton about it, but it's very highly anticipated. People people talk about it a lot. And unfortunately, four years away. I, for one, am thoroughly looking forward to throwing up on that ride. Multiple times, no doubt. Yes. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Tron. Um, I'm going to pose a question to, to both of you guys right now um, as a test of your knowledge. Uh, what is the password, without looking, to the master control program? Jeez. Oh, I'm disappointed the answer is Reindeer Flotilla. Is and I hope, Reindeer Flotilla? Yes, and I hope you will need to know that to get onto the ride because I'll get on before you guys do. <laughs> <laughs> But that's but now we, we. But now we all know that. Yeah. Well, you just told us. Dang. Uh, as well as it, all three of our listeners. <laughs> giving my secrets secrets away. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, that's four years away. Um, you know, I, I really wish. You know, that not being a themed land, I, I I really wish maybe they had waited. You know, until it was maybe like a year or two out. But I guess they can't hide it past a certain point. But the the other one that I remember that's going to the magic kingdom greg is probably gonna cost you a lot because uh, what i, I, I understand that what i understand is that they're going to be putting a live theater on main street and it's going to be a theater okay, wait, that you on. can go into hey, yes stop so um alicia dear long descriptions of spiders for the next 15 minutes or so, please pause now. <laughs> and skip ahead. Yeah, skip ahead. Okay. When you're listening to this, this next part is irrelevant. Just skip ahead. Yes. Okay. Continue, Rob. <laughs> but they, the plan is, is to put a live theater on Main Street. And they're going to be running musicals, I believe. Um, I would imagine yeah, definitely, that it, honey is talking about spiders now. Nothing for you to hear. <laughs> I would imagine that it would be some kind of Disney related musical, but it'll be like a Broadway series from what I understand. So hopefully they bring is... back cats. <laughs> <laughs> that will probably cost you an arm and a leg, Greg. Now is, is that you said, uh, on main street, is that going to be, in like an outdoor theater or do we not know yet no, i believe it's indoor theater i believe it's going to be like like a regular like a radio regular broadway theater hmm. i wonder if the tickets will be a separate cost because they will actually cost me permanently yeah oh i would imagine that they will be a separate cost fantastic yeah exactly but one of the one of the big changes is going to be coming to Epcot. 
Epcot is getting... Okay, so we're now leaving the Magic Kingdom. We've hopped on the monorail, and we are making a beeline towards the big silver golf ball over at Epcot. Yeah, because there is going to be a ton of changes at Epcot. Adult um, Disney. Exactly. Uh, right now, this year, actually, in October, is going to be Epcot's 35th anniversary, for those who don't know. And Epcot is getting a massive overhaul. They're basically going to redo the entire front of Epcot. They're going to push the fountain back. They're going to put in some more, some more, I guess, shops, uh, some some more stuff that you can walk around and do, and so that they can get more. I think money. that's definitely necessary because you really have to, you know, upgrade a place called Future World when you walk into it, and they're like, someday all of your music will be stored on this computer that you keep in your pocket. Yeah, the the future stuff is not futuristic. Yeah, they're showing they're showing things that were future tech in 1992. In fact, I think that they actually started closing down those parts because I'm sure people started calling them on it when the stuff you could buy at Best Buy was more futuristic than the stuff that was on display in Future World. Yeah. I love um, as you're leaving Space Mountain and you're riding up the always broken down uh, conveyor, uh, the little room off to the right, the room of the future, the dining room of the future, and it's all Ikea furniture. At least that's yeah. what it looks like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, they're, they're doing a lot of changes to the front of Epcot, uh, get rid of a lot of the dead space, make it more Disneyfied, if you will. They're also going to be closing Ellen's Universe of Energy. There's and actually people going... still trapped on that ride as we speak. <laughs> because, yeah, I think the ride is like, is like a 35-minute ride, and once you get on, you're stuck. They literally warn you beforehand. Like, if you if you have to go to the bathroom or you think you're going to have to go to the bathroom in the next four hours, please do not get on this ride. Yeah, get get up and go now if you have to go to the bathroom. And I happen to like that ride, but they really make you sit through, a, like, 35 minutes of movie just to see some damn plastic dinosaurs. <laughs> oh, wow. I, I guess I'll skip it then. So do you know what they're replacing it with? I do not. I do. Go ahead, Greg. Tell them. They're replacing it with a Guardians of the Galaxy ride. They are. I don't know what it's going to entail, but the the storyline, I guess, is that Peter Quill visited Epcot as a kid. So I like that. They're they're putting in a Guardians of the Galaxy ride and I believe they're gonna have some some like old photographs and stuff to show you. That's really cool. That that's all it is. What it's is just it? a scrapbook. Of Peter Quill as a kid. You just sit there. Yeah, that's and the ride. And we're done. Just put you in a kiosk. And you thumb through the book. And then you're forced to buy like 17 different versions of Groot. It's like stuffed animals. Yeah. yeah. I'm okay Pretty with Pretty much. That. I'm okay with that. I love the hell out of that tree. <laughs> I'm absolutely okay with that. And also of note, they're expanding the World Showcase. From what I understand... They're not getting rid of any of the countries that are currently there, but they are adding Brazil and Spain. I believe they're also adding at least one ride, which is going to be in France, and it's going to be Ratatouille themed. And it's oh, going to be like, yeah, it's it's really cute, isn't it? And it's going to be like you're you're the size of a of a mouse, from what I understand. Is the Brazil exhibit going to have a waxing pavilion? For you, yes. Excellent. Only for you. Only for you, Greg. Excellent. 
and they will give you that that perfect bikini line. As someone who absolutely loves the food and wine you know, thing every year, and that's mm-hmm. one of the big times we go, we almost go, we try to go as many weekends as we can. Um, adding more lands to the World Showcase is going to get very expensive. Um, it already is very expensive. <laughs> yeah, you figure every booth you stop at is you know five to fifteen bucks, depending on if you drink or not, or if both of you get something. Yeah, but it's totally worth it. The food there is fantastic. Yeah, the food's the food's really good. It really is. But they're also, from what I understand, going to redo one of the existing rides. You know, like they did with Maelstrom. Yeah, yeah, where they turned they it. They took out. They took out Maelstrom and turned it into a Frozen ride. From what I understand, they're going to redo the Three Caballeros ride in Mexico. Oh, I love that. Yeah, and they're going to they're going to do it up in the in their new movie theme. I believe it's called Coco. Okay, I'm a big. I'm not big. I'm not sure what that movie's about yet because I haven't really seen too much about it yet. But it's I believe it's a Mexican theme, and they're going to replace the Three Caballeros ride with. Uh, a Coco theme. Like hell they are. Jimmy and I are going to chain ourselves right to that well, ride. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> if you... tear it down right around our dead bodies. Yep. I, I'm sure you guys rode Maelstrom. Um, I, I know a lot of people were upset when that ride closed down, probably for nostalgic purposes, but mm-hmm. I, I can remember riding Maelstrom and just being like, okay. That's another one that had a long-ass movie that they forced you to yeah, do. And like for a long time, like the doors were like closed and then they finally opened it up and i've never seen a single person stop at that movie since people like run through the like rows of seats to get out of there uh-huh but i can i can say that that what they replaced it with the the frozen ride mm-hmm. I, I actually waited in line for it once because i i don't i don't wait in line two hours for anything if the line is two hours i'm like no that's all right i'm good you, you guys can't go i'll go find something else to do i'll go drink or something <laughs> I'm not waiting. A good place to do it. Yeah. I'm not waiting in line two hours for a ride. But I did I've do waited, it once. I've waited in at least a hundred two hour or longer lines with you at Halloween Horror Nights, so you are a damn liar, son. No, we typically skip the two hour lines. We typically skip because we, we, get the fre- we get the frequent fear pass. So we're like, no, nah, that line's too long. We'll come back later. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, we don't do the two hour lines. It, we don't do the two-hour lines if it's posted two hours when we get there. If we get in line and they surprise us because they lied to us that the line is two hours, we're like, man, we already waited an hour. I'm not giving that up. <laughs> so, but yeah, the, the, the Frozen ride itself is actually – it's actually a better ride than the Maelstrom, I, I have to say, especially if you're a fan of the movie. I mean if you're a fan of the movie, the, the ride is definitely better. Because the Maelstrom ride was, I mean, it was, it was an indoor ride. It was it was cold because they had air air conditioning blasting, and it was a nice way to get out of the heat. But they still have that because it's frozen themed. Yeah. So the the track is still the same. Yeah, exactly. The track is still the same. They just redid all of the all of the scenery, yeah. and they put a frozen story in it. So those those were the big notes that I had from D23 and I'm I'm really excited about what's coming up for for Disney in the next couple of years. Was there anything uh that you guys noticed that I left out? No. Yeah, I think we had the 
had the same things on our radar. Um, I'm, I'm very excited that a lot of these attractions are opening within the next two years. I know we talked about the Tron ride is not going to be here for another four years, but we, I, I think we're going to have enough to satiate us with Star Wars, Edge of the Galaxy, um, all the rides that come with that, and the hotel, which uh, I plan on spending right. the next four years at until right. Tron opens. Well, and, and, I, and I honestly think that that's why Tron is going to take so long, because they're going to focus on getting Star Wars up and running, because they plan on having it open on the in 2019. So they're focusing all their energy in Star Wars land and and actually the new Toy Story land that's going right next to it at Hollywood Studios. Hollywood Studios is going to get a is going to get a ton of new stuff and it's going to be a park that you can actually go to and spend the day because as it is right now Hollywood Studios, I mean honestly you go there you spend like 6 hours there or 4 hours there and you're like, "Okay, I'm done. What's next?" There's nothing else to do here. Uh there's one more restaurant that they're going to put into to Epcot. It's going to be around Mission Space. And it's going to be a space restaurant. Um, what I saw is it's actually not going to be owned by Disney. It's going to be owned by the... the oh, two, yeah, I did see it? that. It's owned by the Patina Restaurant Group. Um, yeah, Patina Restaurant Group. They operate um, a couple of the restaurants. They operate Via Napoli, which has, like, the best pizza in Orlando, I think. Okay. And um, they also run Morimoto Asia, which has... Uh, okay, put it this way. If you ever go to Morimoto Asia, order the ribs. Any of you guys that come are coming to Orlando or live in Orlando or visit Orlando have the ribs at Morimoto. They will change your life. And that being said, if you're at Morimoto Asia at Disney Springs and you get the ribs, do yourself a huge favor and walk right across the way to Homecoming Florida Kitchen because their their chicken is I love love their thigh high chicken biscuits. <laughs> So good. He also just and loves saying thigh high chicken biscuits. Well, that too. But their their food is legitimately among the best, if not the best, at Disney Springs. I love their food. It is so good. And their their mixed drinks are all craft cocktails, and they're really good as well. I did see concept concept art for this one, um, and all the the patrons of the restaurant were looking out the window, and there was just uh, it was just space, and there was an astronaut kind of interacting floating by it's pretty cool floating by yeah <laughs> i totally picture the astronaut just like looking at the window as he kind of slowly rotates till he's upside down and then just kind of keeps spitting as he goes past the window <laughs> some poor beleaguered cast member that they just stick in this like robotic astronaut suit that just sticks him outside the window mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> that that's pretty much all that i can remember um, from the from the D twenty three about the parks. I know I know that there's other stuff, and I know I've forgotten things, but those were the big points that I remembered from D twenty three, and I'm super excited about what's coming up for Disney. Is there anything that you can remember, you guys, that I that I left out that that might be a big noteworthy? Uh, no, not no, that I, can think of. I, I I can't wait for Edge of the Galaxy. Again, I I just can't wait to see that part of Hollywood Studios expanded, and I'm really looking forward to. I guess we're, uh, you know, Edge of the Galaxy. It's going to be amazing. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. I'm really looking forward to it. And with that, I think that winds up our our episode, guys. Nice. Okay, guys, thanks for listening. Hope you had fun. If you have anything you want to add, if you have any questions or anything like that, feel free to visit us at our Facebook page. You can just look up uh, the Give Me Five podcast on Facebook. 
you can check out at give me five pod on Twitter, or of course you can email us at the give me or eh, at give me five podcast at gmail.com guys. Do you have anything else to say? That pretty much covers it. I hope you guys enjoyed our episode tonight. Be sure and tune back in for our next one. Thanks for listening. Guys. The, the title of the episode was No Small Pieces. Or, actually, you can go ahead and cut that out. Because I think I'm wrong. <laughs> anyway, carry on. I miss Mr. Miyagi. <laughs> it's devolving quickly. <laughs> so that... I, I was going to just give you, give you... Yeah. So So that's pretty much... All that I've got a small uh, right human now knocking that I can... upon my door. <laughs> Ethan, go to bed. <laughs> okay. Love you too, buddy. Go to bed. <laughs>